Aquaba, welcome to Tichler Talks. This is a platform where I, Tichler, have conversations with people from different walks of life who share their thoughts and pass their story thus far. I hope you enjoy. So, welcome to episode 9 of Tichler Talks. Today we've got the business owner, Andrew Inman of England. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me today. Pleasure, a pleasure. So, um, in 30 seconds... Can you tell us a bit about you? Give us a quick run through of your history of who you, who you are in 30 seconds. Now, as in now. Yeah. Uh, okay, Start so fa- father of four, uh, recently remarried, um, come out of a franchise business and gone completely working for myself. So I've got my own business now. Uh, two dogs, three cats, um, love cars and love my work. Wow. Nice and simple, love it. So, um, how were you like as a kid? Uh, <clears throat> growing up shy. Um, yeah, a bit shy. Um, and then I grew up, when I went to secondary school, I was forced to grow up really because I should have gone to Clown uh, Balborough School um, and I ended up going to Markland in Cresswell and it was a bit of a crash course in growing up because nobody knew me, so got picked on and right so how was that um awful um like it was pretty much like uh, grange hill where the they used to have two guys come to me every morning and take my dinner money off me and really i just 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 to roll over and give it to them (laughs) wow so how did you toughen up um well to be honest they uh a, a friend who's been a lifelong friend now and he was my best man when i got married the second time um, his name's Mark Kitts um, and he's he's probably you know he's, he's on my best best friends um, and he, he t- sort of took a shine to me and he was quite a big lad and right. uh, when they realised that he were my friend things started to cool off a bit <laughs> you had a bodyguard with you <laughs> yeah I got my own bodyguard <laughs> wow that's the easy lucky days yeah so um, you left school and um, what happened from there uh, well my <clears throat> work um, I actually when I was 14 uh, at school a friend that I had his dad was setting up his own shoe repair business he, okay. he left a big company called Timson's which is you know UK wide yeah. and he decided to work, get a shop in Sheffield and um, it meant that He's, he was going to work with his dad. His son was going to work with his dad, so it meant I weren't going to see my friend. So I uh, asked if I could tag along, and uh, he asked his dad, and he said, uh, "Yeah, you can tag along," um, and but he's not getting paid, and I, I weren't bothered about that. You just want to hang around with your mate. I just want to hang around with my mate, and as it turns out, I took to the job, and his son didn't. So <clears throat> as I left school. I'd already been working weekends um, and I just naturally went to work full time when I was 16 um, but it was short lived uh, the guy um, he was a bit of a wheeler dealer naughty and I didn't I didn't okay. know and he went out of business quite quickly and uh, I worked somebody came in to cover for him on holiday and uh, liked the way I worked. And when I was out of work, he contacted me and asked me if I wanted a job. And what job was that? Was that a new place, I'm guessing? Yeah, so I started off at uh, Wolseley Road in Sheffield. 
Um, and then when I left school, I was running a shop for him at 16 in wow. Redford. Um, and then it, I think it was it lasted about a year, year and a half. And uh, yeah, then this other guy stepped in, Peter, and liked how I worked. And uh, yeah, it went from it went from there. I went to work for him straight, you know, straight after that. So that's Peter, um, the former shop you had down in Chessfield. Yeah, yeah, I've worked for Peters for a long time, thirty years, wow. three decades. So before we even get to Peters. Um, why do you think you took such a liking into the, the craftsmanship? Um, I think I, I could do the job to a level, but I think he liked the how personable I was with people. So I think he saw the fact that I would be good in his business in in a shop environment. I've always, although I was shy at school, like I said, I had this crash course in right. growing up. I, I, I've always, I, I like people, you know, I wasn't very academic at school, um, but I'm, I'd like to think that I'm probably streetwise learning from uh, other people. And I remember my mum always said to me that to be brave, if I didn't know something, if somebody said something, right. I always asked them, what does it mean? So that's part of your education. Instead of just nodding and agreeing to... Not so you learn on the job as you're going on. I learned, yeah. I, you know, I've learned, learned through life. And it's probably been a longer way around. Or, but I, I don't know I don't, if you can say that. I think we've all got our own... We've got our own life and our own journey. So Exactly so. Wow. So um, you said you mentioned you, you were working for Peter for 30 years. How was the whole... How, how was that experience for you? Well, when I um, first joined Peter's... As a as a young lad, I was still sixteen. Um, I really looked up to Peter. He was this. He had a nice car and you know curly dark hair, quite a character. Mm. And um, I felt like I was, you know, we were quite had a good working relationship. And uh, I thought he was a really good businessman. And he sort of took took me on. The journey of being a bench and uh, then you know being a manager and then going into franchise so right. it were it, it, it seemed to be a steady progress it weren't a bed of roses by any means but i was making progress so i was happy that, with yeah. that so how have you found the um, transition from more responsibility because obviously what you went in at the start you were just um you know just working for him then became a manager then being part of the franchise what how did you feel the level of responsibility changed well i think if you take things seriously in work every time you do step up um in in a position the responsibility is there <clears throat> um so responsibility brings pressure i think the key thing is it's how you handle that pressure and when you've got new pressures sometimes you don't handle it very well um so it was it was like a, a step, you step up, you, you know, you get used to a, a plateau and then I felt like I'd be stretched a bit more and right. you, you learn to get to the next level. So it's, it's just, a, it's just a, a curve that you, that you go through. So I'm guessing obviously Peter sounds like he was a good mentor for you then, because obviously he's helped you. He didn't, he didn't throw you straight into the deep end, but he nurtured you into that direction, would you say? Yeah, I think nurtured probably is more the word because 
although I, I, I am quite a sensitive person, um, especially as I was growing up. So I think that he worked out how to get the best out of me as a human being, which then he could apply to his business. Right. And he, he found that, um, he found that technique and, and, and that method how to do it. What things would you say you've learned um, the most practical like life lessons from Peter, would you say? Um, well, be, be sort of convicted to your choices, what you're doing, being brave. Um, he said that I got a, the quality that I had, he saw in me as I was determined. So if I couldn't work something out, keep at it until I, you know, could do mm. it. But so I, I think he brought out in me, um, my potential and that, you know, I, I respect him for that always. Um, but you know, as the relationship went on, things changed. Um, how so? Well, <laughs> we went from being a manager to actually having a franchise in York. So I was, um, let me work this out. I was a franchise or so I, me and Peter was the franchise owners, and somebody worked in that shop. So basically it meant I got like a, a rent, a fixed fee. Okay. Um, and then I, I reached a point where I felt I got my own ideas within his business to make it better. Okay. And sometimes I'd come up against resistance, um, with that. And that was difficult for me because that knocked my confidence back again. Right. But as I got older, I got more determined that to do your I wanted thing. to yeah. do. So we had a choice of getting rid of me or listening to me more so that, again, it was all to progress his business because I was completely dedicated to Peter's. Yeah. Um, so it got to a point where it became a little bit of conflict. It was like a master and apprentice situation. Yeah. So how did, so what, what was the end point in that then? Um, the end point got a bit messy, really. Um, we went on a business trip in uh, Italy. And it was a nice trip. Yeah. In Bologna. Yeah. We went yeah. to a, 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 it's called uh, Lin, Lin La Pelle, Um, which means leather line. And um, you go to see all the components for shoemaking. Right. And we was, we was making shoes at that point. So it was a good show to go to. Um, but he, uh, he got a bit violent. Well, he got violent towards me. He, he, he intimidated me the night before, two nights before we left. And the night before we left, he physically, he hit me twice. Mm. Um, and it was a really weird sensation because I felt that I'd done something wrong because he'd hit me. Right. A victim's a victim's mentality. When now I realise that what what that was about was he was trying to regain control because he yeah. felt he'd lost control. So obviously you were before you were under his wing, but now you wanted to do your own thing to actually support him. But he obviously had different ideas on that. Yeah, I mean, we had conversations where, you know, frank conversations where I'd say look, this is, I want to try and help you if you'll let me, but it, you don't want to he had problems with that. He had issues with that. So 
then conflict came and because I worked within a, within his franchise, um, as long as I'd behaved myself within that contract, I could have my own ideas to a certain degree. Right. And I just I explored them. But I used to, every three months, I felt like I'd, I knew it were coming where he'd, he'd sort of lean over me and yeah. show his authority. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you finally get out of that situation? Well, after the incident in Italy, um, he apologised in his own way. Um, and then he sort of pulled some financial stunts on me, ideas that he said he was going to be involved with me and then um, decided at last minute that he wouldn't. So caused a little bit of debt for me. And it upset me and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be treated like this anymore. Mm. I decided to stand up for myself. And the, the way that I decided I was going to stand up for myself was the opposite to what, to what he did because he resorted to being physical. I decided to take a legal angle and to find out what I could do to get out of a contract. So I had six years left on a contract and I didn't feel that I could suffer those years. Yeah, that's six it, years is a long time. Yeah, so, and they were, they were it's a seri- it was a serious contract. It was a serious amount of money involved. So I ended up hiring a lawyer that was in the top three in the country for franchise law and he was a really good guy and he got me into a position to leave the contract while still being in it mm-hmm. um, so there was a hell of a lot of pressure there um, a lot of financial pressure a lot of it- intimidating tactics coming my way yeah. and um, I had to be very strong I felt like I was stealing myself for, you know, what was what was to come. How did you deal with that physically and emotionally? Um, well, I, the, the five years previous when I was in Italy, I was in really, really good physical shape. And I had, I've sort of dipped in and out of that. I used to train quite a lot. And then as I was leaving, I was still sort of, physically okay Mm. mentally I was a bit shattered but determined again to leave and um, I suppose I ended up drinking too much um, to try and switch off yeah I was using it a little bit like medicine just so that mechanism to yeah just just after the day's work and the dealing with solicitors and the the pressure of it all pressure of it all generally I just found a little safe haven there so I could sleep and get up the next day. But it did feel a little bit like Groundhog Day for probably nine months. And at one point, we, he hired a, a barrister for conveyancing and he changed his mind on a piece of advice for the third time. Right. And I'd signed up for my new shop. And basically, it left me exposed. So if he'd have found out what I was doing, he could have sued me for breach of contract and I would have had to take him to court. But um, as it turns out, I had a month where that uh, that was hanging over me. So it sort of, the pressure was Gosh, already there. Yeah. And then that sort of intensified it. So it was in the same town. So I was... <laughs> I was doing a shop up 
up the road from where I was working, right. tied into a contract, tied into a new lease. Uh, I worked it out. I think I'd got £650,000 worth of liability around my neck at that point if it went wrong. And I ended up at the doctor's literally shaking. can smile about it now. Um, but they put me on beta blockers. Okay, right. And after two days on them, I was chilled. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, cause they were licensing laws implied so that I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to trade as what I wanted to do right. for a year. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to sell shoes or be a cobbler. So I thought, oh, well, I'll sell ice cream or something in that. <laughs> <laughs> after two days on them, I was like, yeah, yeah whatever. Easy life now, wow. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so what happened? So obviously you had that whole situation. You finally got out of the contract and... You were, you were, so what happened to the store? Did you, you and Peter go your separate ways or? Yeah, well, I think just going back a little bit, um, how did I cope with it all? I remember um, intensely praying to God to guide me and get me through. Mm. And there were so many things that could have happened when I came out of that contract. So, he could have set up straight away against me and I thought that's what he would do to yeah. compete with me he would have had the natural footfall to that business because that's where the business was established and I couldn't obviously trade as Peter's and I didn't want to I wanted yeah. to trade as my own name which is Ingman's so <clears throat> I prayed and prayed to get through this and to make the right steps or things to go my way and as it all turned out he never reopened the shop. He couldn't. He couldn't get anybody to run it. So it's quite a small industry. So you find out things. Right. People break the neck to tell you what's happening, and um, three people turned him down. Then he turned his lease over. So basically, he folded his limited company, so he didn't have to pay for the rest of the lease six years. And then he got another company to try and open up against me, even though it was nothing to do with him. So yeah. he tried everything that he could to get his to own try and get his, what he calls his own back or whatever on me. But God didn't deliver. He over delivered yeah. things that I didn't even think about. And, um, I remember when it all, when we'd done the refit and everything that, when I got through to the first day, I thought, how have we got here? When I look back, I was like, how have we got here? It's sort of unscathed. I was a little bit scarred, yeah. but it was like... A miracle. We'd just, yeah, it would just been passaged through and everything. The amount of people that helped me, it's phenomenal, it's humbling, you know. They pulled everything, all the stops out. Right. It, that really encouraged me, even though I was going through trauma. Mm. I thought that, you know, people supporting me and that that really, really inspired me to... And, and I thought, you know what, I have done the right thing. I, you know, leaving that company was the right thing to do, but it was the hardest thing, thing to, to do at that, at that time. Um, but I was determined to do it. And because of the intimidation that was happening and the the veiled threats. This is how I felt. I'm not saying it was real, but I felt I was prepared to die to do it. 
Wow. I thought, I've got to do this. And I remember taking my dad to the shop when they were putting the main sign up. And it's got the Ingman's bit up. And I've got a photo on my phone of my dad outside the shop. And I can see the sign in the back. And I'm like, I've done it. Done it. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's that was a quite a quite a experience and working for yourself is tough, mm. but it's also rewarding. And now I'm working. I'm trying to create a brand. Yeah, the Ingman's brand. It's just amazing. It's like a fifth child. Because we'll we'll get onto that, but I just want to side um, track a bit more and upon your faith because you mentioned that obviously you're praying to God and doing that yeah. time how important would you say your faith is uh, your faith is to your life I, I, I've got a deep faith um, my downfall is I'm, 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 I'm obviously friends with, with people in my church that don't spend enough time in the church meaning the gathering of people because that's as you know, is what a church is. Church right. is a gathering of people. But I've got a deep founded faith um, in always trying to do the right thing, even if it feels like when you try to do the right thing, you don't move forward like other people are doing. Yeah. But I think success is not money. Success can be measured in lots of different ways. And if you make money by doing it the right way, that's got to be the right money to have. I think making, trying to make money in the wrong way, I don't know, by hurting people or putting people down. Your mind will be at rest. Yeah. You know, my my, my soul is important to me. Uh, My soul. I'm a cobbler. (laughs) (laughs) In your puns, wow! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> hey, it sounded good. It sounded good. <laughs> so, would you would you say you are? If God wasn't in your life, would you say you would you would still be in the position you're in right now? If He wasn't, yeah. If you had no faith in anything, I truly believe not. I truly believe not. Um, I think because when I was going through all the trauma, I decided to sort of give when the, the the amount of praying I was doing to, to God mm. I would just basically submit into him uh, it felt like I'd jumped in a little raft and you know there was choppy waters Yay. but he sort of got me through and I don't know how I can't I can't say that oh, this is how I did it Yeah, it was a blur God knew couldn't see the start you just knew what you got in the end anyway, didn't you? bit like a golf shot. You, you know where you want to hit it. You know what club to use. You know which way the wind's blowing. You know what to do. It doesn't mean it's going to It's going to go in, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in the time of need, like I say, he, he over-delivered. And um, I remember thinking that, that word, he over-delivered. Right. Wow. So um, you opened the new store. How were you able to reinvent yourself with to, a new brand? To, to reinvent myself. Yeah, because obviously before you were under um, yeah. P&O, obviously you under all that, all of that, and yeah. before you were an, um, an employer. Yeah, so what I tried to do from the offset was I decided that 
I'd spent that much time promoting somebody else's brand that I wanted to try and and it because there was resistance from Peter, the brand never really had any clarity for me. Right. So I decided that I wanted to set out to open one shop, but as if there was lots of them, like a corporate image. Okay. So I went into detail on the branding. I employed people to, I gave them the idea and I said, I want to create a brand and they'd come up with stuff and we'd to and fro it a bit and then decided that this is what the brand was going to be. The logo, um, how the style of the writing, the ethos of the business. And we, we decided to put that stamp on it straight away. So we spent quite a lot of money on creating this very, very professional image straight away. And so glad that I've done that. For instance, little things like we decided um, two years ago, we'd been open nearly three, but we decided we were going to do an online repair business. And I wanted to make sure that when we, from the first customer, we sent everything back in branded um, boxes and bags. Right. And then I realized that I can't order 50. I've got to order a thousand or yeah. whatever. And then, so we were just starting out in business and then realized that, oh, this is going to be quite expensive. So, and then the girl, um, Kelly, who helped me with the branding, she's got a fantastic company, uh, 13 Benz Design. And um, she always tries to save me money. You know, Andy, do that. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And, and I, I'm like, and I do go with her, her way a lot. Um, but I said, no, Kelly, I've got to do this. I've got to, I've got to stick my neck out. So then I'd get on the phone to this guy who I know, um, who makes boxes, and I'd talk him round, asking him if I could order a thousand but pay for five hundred, <laughs> and, and you save them. Then when I need them, you know. Yeah. So I, you know, I used, I tried to use my uh, personality, and I think, thankfully. How I've treated, like he's, he was a customer who became a friend. I think it's how you, how you treat people generally day to day. That's when things like that pay off because yeah. he's like, yeah, no problem. Yeah. That's fine. You know, so I think, you know, doing the right thing, my faith, um, it's, it's fundamental. It's, it's, it is your foundation mm. of who you are and it's just so important. So what would you say Ingman's is? If someone sees um, a pair of your shoes and says, oh, like what, if I'm wearing a pair of um, Ingman's restored shoes, what kind of person does that mean I am? Does that make sense? Okay, so there are two, there's three other shoe repairers in Chesterfield um, that you could go to. And I'm not saying that, They'll all, they'll all do slightly different standards or they'll all have slightly different techniques. But if you come to Ingman's and you have a repair restored with us, we try and use as many original components as we can, because um, we work closely with the factories. Uh, we use the best leather in the world to repair your shoes, which costs us twice as much. It doesn't cost the customer twice as much, it costs us twice as much. Right. But and everything's 
detailed. Everything's done thoroughly. Like if I was repairing a film star's shoes, that's how I'll repair your shoes. When you I'm a in. film star. Sorry? I'm a film star as well. You, you are a director. There's going to be a film star as well, yeah. Uh, no, but yeah, definitely, I get what you're saying with that. Yeah. So you say the, the brand ethos and the brand motto for England is obviously you treat everybody as equals and you put the best care and effort into everybody, every pair. Yeah, yeah. Every shoe that comes in, we repair to the best of our capability mm. or we say we can't repair that or you might be better doing this. Um, instead, you might be better buying a new pair. Um, because again, that's the same, it's the same principle that breeds confidence for the consumer. Mm. You know, I've turned jobs down that people have wanted me to do because they wanted me to do it the wrong way. Not a lot, but I have, you know, and I've said, well, you might be better going to this other person to do that, but I don't really want to do it that way. And a lot of time you'll find they pop back to you and say, okay, I'll do it your way. Yeah. Because I think... Because obviously you've now got your established values. You don't really compromise on those values. Even though, sure, you want the customer, but you still want to maintain your standard and level of work. Well, I, th- I think if you... I don't think if, you, if you're not materially motivated, if it's not all about money, if money's a byproduct of what you do properly and passionately... There's the difference. So when you're looking at a job, you're not looking at money. You're looking at the way to do it right. And that is that is the main principle behind the England's brand. Because then all of a sudden, trust is established and people say, you you tell me how to do it. Yeah. You What do I need doing? You tell me. If they thought that you were trying to get an extra pound out of somebody... Mm. Every time you went, they'd, they'd sort of repel you. Whereas if you are honest and transparent with them, then they become open to your suggestion and how to do it. And we always give people options. Yeah, you know, it's not one job, one fixed price. It's 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 a, a few different um, options, and then it gives them choice the choice to make. Yeah. Would you say in today's society that a lot of people are more driven by the money than the actual um, process of doing the job? Um, think when you say people are more money-led, is that what you're saying? Yeah, more? so for instance, I might start um, a shoe company now because I want to be rich, not because yeah. I enjoy shoes. Yeah, I think the, I think the thing with the world, how it's, how it's developing is that if you look at marketing as a principle, um, it's now put in front of you all the time what you what you need, which what we've realised, a lot of people generally have realised through this pandemic is that we don't need that much. But marketing is putting stuff in front of us all the time, the latest thing, the latest car, the latest phone, the latest sound system. Mm. Um, and if you've not got it, you're a lesser human being. So from your original question, I think the general pressure on people, businessmen or um, 
people who've got a job is that they feel that they've got to keep up. So that would in turn make them probably money motivated. So yes, I would say that generally people are motivated by money. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing because you could have lots of money and do lots of good things with it. Definitely. You know, so it's not a bad thing to want to be successful or in monetary values or, you know, but I think that, I think the pressure of the world is that you've got to have X, Y, and Z to keep up. The latest this, the, the latest that. Yeah. And that's, that's not, you know, that's not how I've been brought up. But again, it doesn't mean that it's wrong because I'd like to think if I was more successful with money, I'd be more generous because my pastor told me that the world uh, of the stingy gets smaller and smaller and the, the world of the generous gets get bigger, bigger, and bigger and bigger. And I've got a lot of friends and people try and help me a lot and that makes me feel great inside and I hope that I'm generous with my time and my money um, to people um, and in the different ways that I can give from myself I think that that's rewarded by other people doing the same things for you sure. and that to me is a successful life lifestyle um, I know that I can call on people if I need to. I don't, I don't sort of make a habit of doing that. Yeah. But if I need help, it's amazing how many people step up. I'm willing to help you more than happy to. to help yeah, you. yeah, and it's that's that's massive for me. It's a, you know, and it, it's taught me a lot about what is really important, and I'm, I'm sure that's stemmed from the time I submitted to to God. I remember, you know. Um, breaking down and um, asking for God in my life which is which is pivotal to how my life is now and it's I've got the strength the strength to do what I've done I can't, that's not my strength <laughs> I can't I'm just a human being yeah <laughs> I, you know the, the, the men when I think about the mental pressures of signing leases you know going employing a lawyer at 375 pound an hour plus that to, to try and fight to get out of this th feeling like if it felt like a threatening environment I couldn't do that not on your own not on my own no way so yeah I think people are motivated by money but I think they're missing point it doesn't mean that they won't end up with money or I think if you I think if you try and earn money in the wrong way you'll do you won't make use of the money properly to help other people right because point. your mindset won't be there it'll be wanting more yeah. all the time instead of giving some to others yeah yeah definitely um, how have you found the transition from working for other people to you being the boss um, well what's, I'm what's not the boss I'm not the boss now <laughs> no nah, nah, I always think that um, right so if you let being the boss I'm the boss all the time would have so much pressure. So I think the best thing to do is that, yeah, I'm responsible and I'm accountable 
but you make other people responsible and accountable and that helps share the the load so i couldn't tell you now what's in my business bank account because somebody else is in charge of that department mm. all i know is that that person pays all our bills on time and we get early settlement discount if we can at this time it's different but because we've operated our business that way for so long now we are short at this moment in time we are finding that we speak to people and because we've got a great track record they are saying yeah that's fine you can pay us that much now and that much later right but it's all born out of it's it is difficult being a boss it's a lonely place um i've heard a lot of people so i've been listening to a few podcasts and and every entrepreneur would say that being the boss is always lonely. Yeah. Can you explain why that is? Um, right. So the first real experience of it was when I was in the franchise with Peters and I decided to open a clothes store upstairs because this room was beautiful. It was old and got some character. And I visualized what it would, what it would look like. And I decided that I was going to do it and I had to get it, go into debt to do it. And as I was doing it, you've got I've got this this dream in my mind. And then as you start doing it and you start spending the money, and you think, well, what if nobody else believes in my dream? What if I do this? It doesn't work out. And it don't work out, and it's a complete utter waste of money, and ultimately it might bankrupt me or. You know, so that's when it's lonely because you're the only one that holds that candle and that responsibility. And you're the one that's got to make other people see it and believe in it so you can create your vision, i.e. other workmen and stuff. And then you've got to promote it when it's done. Uh, as a concept in a business and this concept and business was you couldn't get to it directly through a door you had to go down the side of the shop and okay. up a steel staircase then up a flight of stairs and I'm thinking am I mental why am I doing this but I did it how, do you, how did you keep yourself going to do that um, well I suppose again determined um, I'm very driven if I've got an idea, um, I'm committed to it. I think if you thought about it too much, you wouldn't. You'd end up not doing it. Why is that? Too many difficulties. Too many. There's too many obstacles. Yeah. There's too many. Wise and nah, don't do that. You know that's silly. So you have to sort of set your mind to program yourself to right. I've got to see it right through this to end right to the final detail and then it's got a chance to work if you half-heartedly went into it if you started to lose momentum then it wouldn't work out right because you wouldn't reach its full potential so it's it's picking that spot and sticking to it and saying right this is what this is what i'm going to achieve this is my goal but it's a lonely place along the way because sometimes i'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning thinking, I'm mental. Nobody's going to come to that shop. 
Nobody can see it from ground level for yeah, a start. Let alone to want to go up. No, like not go down the grubbage. You know, we made the general look nice because it, it it didn't look good. And I thought, but we did. We had a. My, I remember my friend sitting with me, who helped me, and he brought me a plaque, the plaque that I've talked about to a few people. Let's see, think if I can remember what it says. There is, there is no limit. Oh, I know the plaque. Oh, place. There's there's no limit to what a man can achieve, or where he can go, if he doesn't doesn't mind, doesn't mind who takes the credit, right? So there is no way that I can be right all the time. There is no way I can have the best ideas all the time. So along the way, if you allow people to help you and give their input and use some of their ideas, right, they would take some of the credit now if I was full of pride and wanted all that credit for myself we still think, building it now <laughs> I don't think that's right yeah. in principle it's not right so allowing people to help you along the way helps you mentally and I remember sitting and having a glass of wine with him in the night before we opened and he gave me this plaque and it touched me you know, it was great. And he said to me, he said, uh, Andy, he said, um, you're a pioneer. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> he says, who's doing this? Who's doing this in Chesterfield? I says, well, I don't know. He says, you're the first person to do this. I says, well, that's probably why it's so scary. Yeah. Because I'm trying to do something that's not been done at the level that we tried to do it. We tried literally to create like a time pod where you walked into this room and you was in a different sort of period. And I used to, we used to have this big mirror on the wall and I used to walk in in front of the customers and lead them in. And as I walked in, I'd look straight back at the mirror and look at their reaction. Oh. So they'd walk in, then they'd look around and then the reaction had come. And that was when I thought, I'm so glad I've done this. Yeah. Because people's reaction. But then don't get me wrong, some people had come in. I'd say 90% of people had a positive reaction. But some people had come in and they'd take a look around. And you could see the body language. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that's, that's you can't well, please get everybody. Exactly. You know, well, you're playing to a certain audience and... It got a fantastic reaction. So, but yeah, long, lonely place working for yourself, having your own ideas and seeing them through. And when you're paying for something mm. and you're taking a new venture, it is scary because it might not work. Yeah, because obviously that's not the first time since then you've obviously taken, take, like you mentioned earlier with the boxes, you stuck your neck out to um, you know do things that some people probably advise you not to. So um, yeah. how do you always like keep yourself, even though people say you shouldn't do this, we say, no, this is exactly what I want to do. It might cost more. It might be, you know, more than you think it's going to be, but you're still, you know. Right. Well, going back to the boxers, just as a, since you mentioned it, as a, uh, as a, we'll take that as a point. I tried to put myself into the customer's, you know, perspective of, I knew that the jobs were good that we were doing, that, you know, we were up there with the quality and the way that we repaired shoes that 
when you put them back on your feet, they felt the same but better because they were all stout again and made strong. But Ingman's is nothing to so many people. It's everything to me, but then it gets diluted the further further afield you go. Right. The people in Chesterfield now know Ingman's, but people in Southampton or Northern Ireland or London don't know Ingman's in principle. So it's that first impression. So I'm a big believer in the first impression you can't make the second time. Yeah. So you've got to get everything right. So the service has got to be right. You've got to do what you say you're going to do. Um, the job itself has got to be to the best level that you can and use the best materials and get the best finish. When you receive that parcel, then that's where you open the layers of delight. So you've got your, it comes in a, a DPD bag, but when it goes back, everything about it is Ingman's. So you've got, you've got your first, your bag, your Ingman's bag, you open that up with all the logos on. Yeah. And then you get the box out and then it's all logoed up. So you've got another layer. And when you open that box up, we've got the point of sale. So we've got the, this is what's happened to your shoes. This is about Ingman's. Yeah. There's a business card and there's a free gift. We put a little coaster in this branded. So, and then they open the bag and then they see the job. So they've seen, they've sent something, they've took the time to send something that they like and in most cases love and it's worn out and we're restoring it to its former glory. And some people have said it's better than when it were new. Wow. Which is amazing. That, that's that's on our, our reviews. And that means a lot to me. And if they are prepared to go to the internet and write a review, it's like, wow, you know. And it's taken but if you don't if we'd have, if we'd have waited a year to do it that way, in my eyes we'd have been six months behind. We won't be a year behind, we'd be six months behind. Right. But we decided to take the step and it's important as a business person it's important to me to because if i'm not that worried about money as regards for myself i spend a lot of money on my business because it's like having a child yeah you want to see it do well and grow and develop you know if you feed your kids mcdonald's every day and you don't give them vegetables and you don't give them a balanced diet and you don't give them milk and you don't give them water and you don't clothe them properly they're not going to grow up same are they whereas if you feed them well and you treat them well and you hydrate them well and you teach them well you get a different result and it's only the same with the business if you if you look after the business and make sure everything's done to detail and you keep all those methods in place of service, quality of job, do what you say you're gonna do. And then over then, and then you over, um, you give them a bit extra that they didn't know, right? Mm. Then it's like, oh wow, this yeah. is this is different. And that's, for me, that's how small businesses become bigger businesses. And you only get that by nurturing them. You've got to nurture them. 
So that's that's what I try to do. Wow. And because um, obviously you're um, a businessman, you're an entrepreneur. Um, would you say everybody is an entrepreneur? Do you think some people are born that way? Or people are shaped up to be like that? Um, I think we're all entrepreneurs in the making. It's It's... It's finding out what you want out of life and what you're good at. Um, so would you say it's for everybody? Is it? No, I don't think it is for everybody. So for instance, I work with a lad who's... <clears throat> if, if I'd got 10, his name's Darren, if I'd got 10 Darrens, I could have 10 shops because he's a cornerstone type person. Very reliable um, turns up for work, does a great job, good with the customers, he's developed that, he's developed that better. Um, but he doesn't want the responsibility. Which, for me, is good, but we're open about it. I don't, we're not, you know, we've talked about if he'd want that responsibility. So, for instance, if he wanted to open another shop for me, and he doesn't, he doesn't want that, so, Why do you think that is? It's too much pressure. Yeah. Um, a lot of responsibility. Yeah, I think it is. I think. I think learning to handle pressure. Pressure's pressure. It's learning. You know how you handle pressure. I remember listening to a podcast of Paul Scanlon, and it said you could put exactly the same scenario, with exactly the same financial situation. With exactly the same timescales. And you can apply it to two different people and you get two different scenarios as a result. And that's true. But when you start working for yourself and you start getting big bills in and stuff, I try to think of it, it's still the same principle. It's still housekeeping. So like you do your day, your weekly shopping and you, you pay your electric bill and you put petrol in your car. Right. You have to budget and you have to make sure you've got enough or you get yourself into trouble. And they're the basic principles that I try and apply to business. So even though the numbers are bigger, the principle's the same. You know, don't try to get into too much debt. Make sure you can get out of a situation if you take a loan that is viable for your business to pay it off. Mm. If, it's, if that money that you're going to invest back into your business will help you make more money so that you can safely pay that loan off, um, and that's quite it's quite basic stuff that's not to me entrepreneurial it's common sense the foundations and stuff the foundations um, I suppose <laughs> I, f I find it a bit weird when people say you're an entrepreneur and I really mean that genuinely I did a HSBC is our bank now for business and I've been doing pop-up shops in London, in Birmingham, and they asked me to come and do a talk uh, to um, people leaving school that wanted to set their own business up. And um, on the big flashy screen, it was a big auditorium and I was really intimidated. Uh, and it said, uh, Andrew Ingman, Ingman's entrepreneur. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> set you up. So I walked up and I went straight away, I went, entrepreneur I said I'm only a cobbler and they all started laughing <laughs> and I'm like right that's cool <laughs> broken the ice <laughs> made me relax a little bit um, 
So yeah, I, d- I don't know. I don't know if everybody's born to be an entrepreneur or I find it difficult to accept that I'm an entrepreneur because I look at other people who are really successful and think, wow, they're entrepreneurs. But, but that's the thing because those are people, uh, people while watching this thinking, wow, you're also a huge entrepreneur. So it's obviously, it's one of those ones that I, was, I had a guest on um, a while, a couple of episodes back, who I think they had maybe 2,000 followers on um, Instagram. I'm thinking, oh, yeah. I've only got 2,000. Like, somebody's got 50,000. But I'm thinking, somebody's only got 50 people thinking, oh, I'd wish you'd be at your level as well. Yeah. So I think it's just one of those ones where you have to, like I said to her, appreciate where you're at at the, the time moment. Say, yeah, sure, I want to be bigger there, but I'm doing really well for myself. And like, you obviously, like, you appreciate the customers you have currently. Yeah, well. yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I'm on a I'm on a journey, aren't I? I'm, yeah. I'm still. If I, if I, Ingman's is not quite three years old, so it's only an infant. Um, but yeah, I'm on this journey, and I do I do like having ideas and concepts and trying to see them through. So, for instance, the internet, and so we've got the local customers that come back times many for repairs that have. Uh, reputation we've built for quality so when i thought about the internet i thought how am i going to get the same effect over the computer screen how am i going to make the consumer feel the warmth and love of ingman's and the dedication to what we do in restoring shoes so i thought well if i can interact a little bit with the consumer Mm. if I could send them progress of what we're doing um, if they could see us working somehow building a rapport with them it builds a rapport so they they were the principles that I tried to apply and with the branding and taking the time to speak to customers as we get the repairs in and being transparent with them and advising them and then showing them pictures of us stripping it down and then rebuilding it back up and a lot of people say well when do we pay well we say well you pay when you're happy well I said well we'll send you photos and if you're happy you pay us and that has created trust so I've never met the guy in Southampton but Sometimes they they try and help me. They say, you know what you ought to try and do, you know it's yeah. not it's not just it's not just a transaction, it's a relationship. Yeah, and we're starting to get people recommenders. So, you know, you've come recommended. We've heard about you. We've heard about Ingmans, and I'm like, wow, you've heard about Ingmans? <laughs> well, you're in Brighton, mate. I've heard about Ingmans. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I've heard about you because my work, wife works with somebody. And they've had some work done and they said it were amazing. And I'm like, I can't believe it. Somebody else has told somebody else yeah, from farther nice away. Way. And now they, they're looking at our website and wow, we, we've heard about you. And that, that's, that for me is massive. But yeah. that's obviously not come overnight because you put the time and effort to make your customer the primary care. Because I'm sure there are not many... Um, like sure, there's Amazon people like that, but there are not many people who go 
above and beyond to update people on the the care and how things are going and yeah. you know keeping them updated. Because, I mean, yeah, Amazon Amazon started apparently from a very it was a small seed that's grown into yeah. the Amazon in the garage, yeah, <laughs> massive. Um, but again, <clears throat> I'm sure the principles are similar. Um, but when I talk about just generally. It's not what you do in life, it's who you are, who you be, right? So we're human beings. So that's, you can't act every day. <laughs> you, you get just, caught out one you day. Can't, yeah, yeah you, yeah, you know, actors play different roles. But if you act your way through life, it would be very tiring and difficult. And you'd come across different to different people. So human beings i've got that from paul scanlon right we are human beings and it's who we be and i took a big chunk of that uh for for myself and for my company so if you're being genuine and if you're being yourself you can't get caught out you can't trip up you can't make a mistake so that gives you confidence to be convicted to what you're doing. Yeah. So um, we was talking about the level of care and what we put in. Well, yeah, we do put a lot of level of care in, um, but it's quite natural. It's who you are. Yeah, it's not an effort. It's not an effort to do that. It's just quite simple to me to apply that. And you know what? It works. It just works. Because people usually are sold things. People sell things to people. Well, people buy us. They buy our service. They buy into it. And that's a difference. Because what we do is we put it in front of them. And we tell them all about it. And then it's up to them if they want to buy it or not. Yeah. And that's the, that's a big thing. I think if you're not trying to sell, you're offering what you, what you do and people buy it from you. It's a different process from that. Sure. It's a different, it's a different transaction. Wow. That's um, some powerful words. And I think that's what, um, like you mentioned how you said something about how, um, People people pay when they're satisfied. Obviously, most people most of the time people pay regardless if they're happy or not. But yeah. it shows that if I know that I'm going to pay when I'm happy with your product, it shows that you really care about what I think of the shoes. And obviously, that's your profession. That's what you go down in. Well, subliminally, it'll give you confidence as well. It'll give consumer confidence because if I'm saying to you, you pay when you're happy, that means that I'm I'm sure Ingman's is sure that we can make you happy. Yeah. Because we can't run a business on people not being happy. If they're happy, you come back to you. Happy, 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 happy talks. You know, happy talks and says, "Wow, this is great. Have you tried this?" So, my web designer, which is another person that's really helped Ingman's massively, um, he says to me about our Google reviews. He said, um, "Mate," he says, "Your Google reviews." He says. The length of your Google reviews that people write the good news down 
He says most people's reviews that long are when they're ranting because they're that annoyed <laughs> and they can't run out of words because they're so annoyed. He says, but yours are the other way, they're positive. So people are writing long positive reviews, which is great because it doesn't happen that often. So that gave me a lot of confidence in what the ideas yeah, that we got. To you, yeah. yeah, but you know, we had a website, a friend helped me with a website and we had the repair service on, but it wasn't really happening for us. Um, and then this guy, this customer kept coming in shop and I actually thought he worked for Harley Davidson. I thought he had a franchise in Chesterfield. Right. So one day he came in shop to buy something and uh, I said, um, we've talked about uh, websites. Sorry, I digress. I thought he got a, I thought he got a Harley Davidson franchise. Yeah. And at the time I was looking for a van, which was the side of Harley Davidson in Chesterfield. So I thought, oh, I'll call in and see Matt. That's where he works. So I went in and <laughs> I walked in real confident. Is Matt in? Matt? Don't know. Oh, Matt. Which manager in? Yeah, yeah. Art manager. Oh, you're not Matt. Matt. You're not Matt. <laughs> Matt. Who's Matt? Well, anyway, so I went out of there, confused. A few days later, Matt walks in again. I said, "I came, I came to see you the other day, and you weren't there, at work." Really? Yeah, yeah. I asked for you, but you weren't there. I went. Well, where did you go? He says Harley Davidson. He goes, "Well." I don't work there. I says, well, I thought you worked at Harley <laughs> Davidson. He says, no, we make websites for Harley Davidson. Right. And Triumph, we make them nationally. I says, I want a new website. I says, but I'll not be able to afford your prices if you make you know websites mm. to that level. And he said, let me think about this. Let me think. Because he loved our shop. And he came back with this package that basically I couldn't turn down. So he started making our website. And they are so intricate because it's all about the SEO <clears throat> behind the scenes. All the words, keywords. Um, and he's come, he's, he's, tr he's allowed Ingmans to become national. The, the way that he's wrote the website, the way that he's portrayed us, because he, he, knows you. Because he uses us. He knows our ethos and he likes us more than I thought he did. He liked the way that we did business and how we were with people's service. So he had a flavor for the, for the, for the brand. So when he did this website, when he delivered it to me, I'm like, that's just, <laughs> that's just how I want to, yeah. to be. Well, he knew. So, and again, I think it's, you know, in life, you need a bit of luck and you know there's some principles people say the harder I work the luckier I get and I do believe